Good morning, everyone. Today's Bible reading is from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body has finished with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their life, earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead so that they might be judged according to human standards in regards to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, the power forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Ben. Good morning, friends. Uh, my name's Matt. I'll add my uh, welcome to Prash. I'm one of the assistants min- assistant ministers here, and it's great to be with you this morning. Uh, you may have noticed there's an extraordinary verse at the end of that passage that was read out to us. Peter lists all these things that uh, Christians should be doing with their lives, and then at the end he says, in order that in all things, in order that in everything God may be glorified. My question for us this morning is, how do you live a life in order that all things in your life are for the glory of God? How do you live such a life that you glorify God in everything? Is it possible to do that? What stops us from doing that? How do you find the power in your life to live for the glory of God in everything? What does it look like to do that? That's my question for us this morning. Uh, So I want to pray for us, and we're going to get into it. Let's pray. Gracious God, speak to us now. Show us how to live in everything for your glory. Amen. Amen. Uh, Well, there is uh, perhaps the most remarkable claim. Uh, That was an extraordinary one. I reckon this is the most remarkable one in the whole of this passage. Is this, a Christian life is a life that is done with sin. It's here in verse 1. It says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh... Arm yourself with the same way of thinking, for, ev- for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, or as some translations put it, that person is done with sin. This is the kind of life that the Apostle Peter is calling us to in the 21st century, a life that is done with sin. Now, we've got to define sin, don't we? Good question, what is sin? Peter does it in the next sentence for us. He says, so as to live the rest of your life, in the time, in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. 
What's he talking about? Well, this is his way of defining sin here. He's saying there are desires that are within us as humans that are contrary to the desires that God has for us. There are humans' passions and there's the will of God. And this is our sin when we live for human desires, wants that we have that are opposite God's desires. Now, it's really important to say that not every, I don't think this is what Peter is saying either, not every desire that is within you as a human being is evil or is sinful. Not every want or inclination, not every thought or feeling is evil. But he's saying, really importantly, that there are some human passions that are within us that are opposite to the will of God. And, I mean, that might sound really obvious to many of us in the room, but I think that's actually a very countercultural story, a very countercultural narrative for us. Maybe not for you, but definitely for me. I grew up watching a lot of The Sound of Music. I have home videos of me and my family singing along to The Sound of Music. Uh, needless to say, they will not be released on film ever. Uh, but what songs were we singing? I have confidence and confidence in me. You know, follow every rainbow until you find your dream. The idea is, you know, follow every inclination of your heart. Follow every desire you have. Every thought, every feeling, don't stop it. Because at the center of who you are is who you really are. And who you really are is gold deep down and in there. There's a different narrative in our world too, and that's the narrative that the Bible gives us, God's narrative of the world. And that is, yes, you were created in the image of God. You have feelings, some of them good, but since the very dawn of time, the very first humans decided to take a path that was contrary to the will of God. And that is to say they had passions that didn't have their origin in God, but found their origin in themselves. That's how Peter here defines sin as human passions. Passions, desires, feelings, thoughts that don't have their origin in God but have their origin in ourselves. What's really interesting here is that I think we stumble into an absolutely amazing possibility. And that is that Peter is saying for the Christian, for those who follow Jesus, it is possible to live a life where you have thoughts and you have feelings, and you have ambitions and ideas and desires and passions that are not only human, but have their origin in God and in who He is. That's the amazing possibility for a Christian, that you can live for the will of God, that you can be done with sin. That's a crazy idea, isn't it? Now, let me caveat that just by saying, I don't think this verse is saying that a person can be completely free from sin. But he is saying that your life can be like a taste of heaven to yourself and to those around you. People can look at you and they can be like, wow, that's how you can follow the will of God. You can look like that person. What that person thinks and says and does it's like a taste of heaven. That's what he's saying. And he's saying, actually, there are people in this world who would rather suffer than sin. Such is their joy and their desire for living the will of God that they would prefer to suffer than to sin. Christians are people who are more willing to suffer than to sin. That's what Peter is saying. 
a life that follows God can be more important to you than even suffering, than anything else in your life. I recently uh, was listening to an interview by Johnny Erickson Tata. You may have heard of uh, this woman. There's a picture of her uh, much younger than she is today. At the age of 18, uh, she dove into a lake and she misjudged the depth of that lake and she fractured vertebrae four, to f- four and five in her uh, spine. And so she's lived since the age of 18 as a tetraplegic, that is, completely immobile from the shoulders down. Uh, she was born to parents who were athletes. She lived a very active life up to this point. Obviously, she was swimming. She must be nearly 70 now, so she's lived like 50 years in this condition. Uh, she has learned to paint with her teeth. Uh, she has written over 40 books, remarkably, but she's done so relying on uh, speech recognition software. And she was asked in this interview, what are you most looking forward to in life? You know what she responded? She said, Heaven. She said, one of the fringe benefits of heaven is that I'll have a new and glorified body. She said, I'll jump out of this wheelchair, I'll do an Irish jig. She said, I'll have hands that work. She said, imagine that. I haven't been able to hold my husband for 50 years, and I'll be able to hold him for the first time. But then she said this. She said, but please remember, that's not the focus. I'm going to have a new heart. I'm going to have a heart that's free from sin. She said, I'm so tired of at times feeling sorry for myself, feeling overwhelmed by pain, waking up in the morning with a sour disposition, having fears about the future. I'm so tired of that. I'm going to have a new heart. That's what I'm most looking forward to. Now, if that's how attractive a life that is done with sin is to her, you know, why don't we pursue that with our whole lives? Why do we find it so hard? Why don't we choose a life that is done with sin. Well, Peter points it out for us. It's because it's hard. It's because there's a cost to living a life that is done with sin. There's a suffering that comes with it. And perhaps the suffering that he focuses on mostly in this passage is the suffering that can come from not going with the crowd. You know that kind of suffering from not going with the crowd? He says this, he lists a whole bunch of things that many of us used to do in our past lives, the sinful things, the human passions. And then he says, with respect to this, they're surprised when you do not join in with them in the same flood of debauchery. And he says, they malign you. They malign you. You know, there is, I mean, maybe you feel it at home, with your friends, in your workplace, wherever you are. Maybe you feel it. There's this flood, there's this torrent There's a a wave of people and lifestyles all moving in one particular direction. And when you choose not to jump into that, people can malign you. They can disrespect you. They can put you down. They can demean you. Respect is the coin of the realm, isn't it? Respect is the currency of our culture, I think, more and more today. I'm sure many of us have experienced this. I had coffee uh, with a couple uh, who have... Uh, recently moved on from here and uh, they were telling me they come from a a culture and a background an Asian city in fact that highly prizes wealth, highly prizes family highly prizes high education for kids and they decided with their lives as Christians that they wanted to live not for human passions but for the will of God and so they've decided to live a life that is starkly in contrast to how their family 
want them to live. And they were sharing with me across that table how difficult it is for them. Daily, they feel the tension, the pressure, of the family expectations in their lives. Um, you know, and they, they actually felt shame for how they li- were living their life. Their family shamed them in various ways, often in very subtle ways, but they felt shamed for this life. They'd been maligned. Um, you know, it's a very sensitive issue, of course, in many Asian cultures, but I think in our culture, especially with the rise of social media, where everything we do is to be liked by others. This idea of honour and shame is so central and important to who we are. And Peter is saying, in every culture, no matter how Christian it claims to be, those who want to follow the will of God will often have to do so. And they'll often have to suffer disrespect in order to follow the will of God. That's just part and parcel of going the opposite way of what it looks like. They asked me, you know, what do we do? How do we respond to our family? What do we say? I said, oh, look, I just got to tell you, it's just going to be tough. And you've just got to be prepared for it. That's what Peter says. Arm yourself because there's a battle. Be prepared. Our reputation, we've got to be prepared for this. Our reputation has got to come second to his. In fact, often our reputation and his reputation are directly inverse. For him to get more glory in our life, often we have to be prepared to get less. For his reputation to be increased, often our reputation has to be decreased. I imagine, I mean, we feel this all the time. Will I join in? If I don't join in, will I be invited over again? If I don't join in, will I have a job If I don't join in, will they think I am strange? There's suffering as a part of following the will of God. So how do you do it? How do you live for God's will? Well, the reason actually is given at the very beginning of this passage. And that's why Peter can go on to talk about how we live out God's will. But he says this, he says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. He says we've got to consider Christ's suffering to find the power to live out this new life. Consider Christ's suffering. Peter has spent a lot of time, and we've looked at it again and again and again over the last six weeks, he's spent a lot of time considering Christ's suffering, what Jesus was thinking as he suffered, why he suffered, what was the outcome of his suffering. And there's a couple of really important things that this morning are going to help us as we consider our own suffering. The first thing is that Jesus had a bigger vision than just himself as he was going through suffering. He thought about what God thought about the situation. Uh, In chapter 2, verse 20, as Peter is talking about Christ being being an example to us in suffering, he says, if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that there is some suffering, suffering for doing good, that God actually looks down on and is pleased with. It's commendable to him. The second thing uh, that Jesus knew, he knew that suffering wasn't the end either. He knew that this life wasn't all that he had, and the suffering in this life wasn't all that he had. We're told 2 Peter 23, when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Why? He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He knew there was something on the other side of his suffering. He knew there was honour on the other side of his shame. 
This actually comes up in verses 5 and 6 of our passage. Uh, Peter says, look, the reason that the gospel was preached to you was so that you would remember that, yes, you might suffer in this life and you might die in this life, but you will live with God forever. We need to have a picture of that future. But the final thing I think comes across quite strongly throughout the gospel, or throughout the epistle of Peter, throughout Peter's letter, is this. It's why Jesus suffered, why he was prepared to suffer. He himself bore our sins. That's what he was doing when he was suffering. He was bearing our sins. And in 3.18, this is that memory verse, the kids and we've been learning, for Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. In other words, as Jesus was going through suffering, he wasn't just thinking about himself. He understood that it was commendable to God. But more than that, he knew why he was doing it. He was doing it for others. He was doing it for you and for me. He was doing it for us. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. You know why it is so hard to choose between our wants and God's wants? You know why it's so hard? Because at the bottom, we have this heart issue of approval. We want to be liked. That's why we experience shame. The reason that human passions are so enticing is that they're human. Everyone's doing it. If I do it with them, I'll be liked. If I participate, they'll like me. But Peter is saying, Jesus approves of you, and his suffering proves it. Jesus approves of you. Uh, We're running at the moment a Christianity Explored course where we explore the big ideas of the Christian message. Uh, We've got two groups running We've got uh, like eight people who are seriously exploring the claims of Christianity. And we looked at the cross and the significance of Jesus' suffering on Tuesday night over Zoom. And uh, one of the discussion questions that came up was, how would you feel if someone else took the punishment for something serious that you did wrong? How would you feel if somebody took the punishment for something serious that you did wrong? And somebody piped up um, and they shared a story from their own life. She said... When she was five years old, she found a drill and she put a, ho- put, a table, put a hole through the dining room table. When mum walked in, her brother was standing next to her and she shifted the blame onto him. She blamed him for it. And her brother took it. And she said, I don't know why he did it. You know? Why did he take the blame? I raised, maybe it was because he knew, she knew the, he knew the wrath of mum and he wanted to protect his sister from it. He wanted to save his sister from it. We must understand we are the unrighteous in this passage. We've drilled a hole into the heart of God. But we have an older brother and he's shown to us the depth of his love for us in suffering for us. He's no longer ashamed of us. He's endured the cross, scorning its shame to bring us to God, to say, I approve of you, I love you. And so once you understand that, then you can be thankful, then you can be gracious, then you can be willing to not please yourself or to please others, but to please God with your life. Whatever shame you understand one day you're going to get glory. God is pleased with you 
because of what Jesus has done. So then what does living for the will of God look like? We've talked kind of vaguely, but then Peter, if he lists very concretely in verses 1 to 6 a bunch of things Christians shouldn't do, then he lists in 7 to 11 a bunch of things that we should do. He lists things like being self-controlled for the sake of your prayer. He talks about showing hospitality without grumbling. He talks about using your gifts to serve others, your talents, your gifts to serve others. But then he, he says this one thing, and I want to focus on it partly because it says at the beginning, above all, and so I figure if our time is short, I've got a couple of minutes left with you, we should talk about this. He says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. I asked my wife, you know, why do you think it's important that love covers sin. And she turned to me and answered very quickly, perhaps because she has had experience of living with me, and she said, otherwise the relationship wouldn't last. That's why it's important that love covers over sin, otherwise the relationship wouldn't last. Love has to cover over sin, it has to forgive and forget. Sometimes it has to ignore when you are hurt. Because otherwise, there's not room for a second chance or a third chance or, in my case, a 119,000th chance. I asked a friend the other day how his marriage was going and he said, oh, you know, it's up and down. And I said, that must be tough. He said, yeah, but it's a Christian marriage. What he meant by that was there's hope for it because there's forgiveness. Both parties are prepared to cover over sin. Now, we are not talking, and I've got to be really clear about this, Peter is not talking about brushing serious sin under the carpet. He's not talking about brushing abuse, domestic violence, or anything like that under the rug. In fact, when somebody raises our own sin with us, we need to deal with it. That's what the Bible says. When somebody brings our sin to us, we need to deal with it. We need to sort through it. But Peter's talking about the multitude of times where sin is not as important as it is to forgive and forget when the sin is not as important as it is to forgive and forget, which will be a countless number of times, a multitude of times in any relationship. Because it's really important. I'm just going to state the obvious. Are you ready, church? I'm just going to state the obvious. I'm going to sin against you from time to time. You're like, wow, Matt's finally woken up. <laughs> Prash, our great, new, energetic, young, incredible senior minister is going to sin against us at different points. Our wardens are going to sin against you. Our parish council are going to sin against you. Your ministry team leader, your connect group leader are going to sin against you. The difference in our community is not that there is no sin. The difference in our community is that we forgive and forget again and again and again and again and again. The difference in our community is that we love and that we have a love that covers over sin, even at the extent of our own suffering. It will cost you to cover over sin. But you can do it. Why? Because he bore our sin. The righteous for the unrighteous. And so surely the unrighteous can do it for the unrighteous. Surely we can do it for one another. I want to finish with an il il illustration. A great little parable uh, that just sums up, I think, how we are to love one another, how we are to act one another, toward one another in a way that glorifies God in a way that doesn't put self first, human passions first, but puts others first. It's willing to suffer for the sake of the other. Uh, I've been watching a TV show called The West Wing. Many of you might know it. Um, great to watch alongside American politics at the moment. Uh, there's one episode where the chief of staff is with his deputy chief of staff. 
And the chief of staff of the White House has just done something to, to love, in an incredible way, the deputy. And the deputy doesn't quite understand, and he shares this parable. He says, this guy's walking down the street when he falls in a hole. The walls are so steep he can't get out. A doctor passes by and a guy shouts up, Hey, you, can you help me out? The doctor writes a prescription, throws it down the hole and moves on. Then a priest comes along and the guy shouts up, Father, I'm down here in the hole, can you help me out? The priest writes out a prayer, throws it down the hole, moves on. Then a friend walks by, Hey, Joe, it's me, can you help me out? And the friend jumps in the hole. Our guy says, Are you stupid? Now we're both down here. The friend says, Yeah but I've been down here before and I know the way out. Let me pray for us. Gracious and compassionate God, you loved us and you showed us the depth of your love and the willingness of your son to suffer for us. So help us, Lord, here at St. Stephen's, help us to arm ourselves with the same way of thinking, that we might live for your glory in the service of others of whatever the cost. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.